it is very clear that Anthony Fauci and much of the uh, industrial world when it comes to uh, the medical industrial complex really just want this pandemic to continue forever and ever and ever. And the reason for that is the profits are forever and ever and ever. And it is one time that their industry actually is the center of attention and they're able to control things. Can you imagine being able to shut down entire continents, people, cities, lock them down, put them away? Be able to shut down people's ability to go wherever they want to, or shop, or or even procreate. That is how far Fauci has uh, gained influence from an insignificant scientist whose job was basically to report out information on studies he conducted, to a man who approved funding for a lab in Wuhan, according to some reports, uh, that eventually is blamed for the cause of this virus. There is no other explanation for the virus coming out of China except for what happened at the Wuhan lab. No other result shows that SARS-CoV-2, which is what exactly this virus was originally labeled as, had any other origin except the area around Wuhan. Now, was it an accident? Was it deliberate? These are questions that could be answered Chinese government would only cooperate, something it has not done. And even the WHO, the World Health Organization, which is heavily dependent on China, admitted to this, that uh, the Chinese government has been woefully inadequate in their cooperation with efforts to trace patient zero. They do know who it is. It was in the uh, area of, uh, of that part of China, in Hebei province. But uh, to this day, they're still figuring out how on earth did this virus become so virulent? And how is it even resurrecting again now, they say, in portions of Germany, where a new variant is again being found and a new series of cases is again coming up. And this is even after people have had their boosters. You have countless issues with patients. The mayor of Los Angeles, for example, attending an environment summit in Scotland, suddenly coming down with a positive test result even though he had been inoculated not once, not twice, with a full dose, but a third time for a full battery of protection, uh, now testing positive for the virus himself. So it just shows you how virulent the uh, virus is and why people need to be very careful, especially those who have comorbidities. Viruses come and go, that is true, but Fauci has surrendered. And he was grilled today at the United States Senate on that and why exactly and where the origins came from. Thank you very much. Um, as we move forward, I think it is crucial that we are tracking the right metrics so that Americans have a useful understanding of relative risk and better understand the steps that they can take to limit their own risk, just as you say, including these vaccines that work, that are safe, and that save lives. Thank you. Thank you. Senator Braun. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, first question will be for Dr. Fauci. I was watching the interchange between you and Senator Paul. That is always entertaining. And um, I think what I'm interested in today, because it was back on May 26, uh, we had a hearing. And what's happened at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, um, you know, there's a debate out there. And it's not clear what happened. And the thing I remember, uh, at the tail end of our conversation because the merits of the case either way. Senator Paul makes it one way. You make it the other way. 
EcoHealth comes into play in terms of what happened there. Uh, you know, transparency, and you were on record as saying you like it, you love it, you believe in it. I pressed you that day, well, on something I'll get to in a moment, but what about releasing all the information that you do have under your control? Because I think as long as the American public can't see it, with all the mystery surrounding what happened in terms of its origin, and I think then you said, well, you could maybe suggest it to President Biden on declassifying information uh, when it comes uh, to the subject I'm going to get to in a moment. Will you agree, uh, liking transparency, to get all of the information out there as it relates to the origin so we can all see it here in the Senate across the country? I'm, thank you for that question, Senator. I am, have always been, am now, and will always be very, very much for total transparency in everything we do. So as far as I'm concerned, what you're saying resonates very strongly with me. I, I do want to make one point because it, it, it gets confusing to people. One of the things that's very, very clear, irrefutable, that the NIH funding of grants in Wuhan and the viruses that were discussed, including the viruses that Senator Paul mentioned, would be molecularly impossible to have resulted in SARS-CoV-2. And that sometimes gets conflated when they talk about your funding research there, where people can argue about the definition of gain of function or not. I gave you the process whereby that definition was established. But what gets confused and conflated is that any of the card-carrying molecular virologists will tell you that notwithstanding the debates about definitions, the funding by the NIH of the grant and the viruses that were worked on could not possibly have turned into SARS-CoV-2 because they are evolutionarily so distant that nothing anybody could have done could have done that. And I really feel I need to say that. But getting back to your question, I'm all for because transparency. I'm talking about, so has all the information, period, been released that pertains to that subject? Because that looks like it would be under your control uh, to do that. So is it out there publicly? You know, I'm not sure exactly what you mean by all the information, but I can tell you anything that is under my control, that is legally able to be released, I am all for 100% releasing. I promise you that. Well, we're gonna make sure that all of that is out there because one of the most difficult things about this whole navigation is that there are varying opinions. Not everybody is gonna agree with you. Um, we'd like to see it so we can sort through it where other experts look at it and the American public. Now, let's get back to uh, the whole uh, housing uh, that we have within our own departments. Um, Josh Holly and I had a bill that passed by unanimous consent through the Senate to declassify that information. And again, you said you were for transparency. You were hesitant about that not being your bailiwick. Uh, is that something you would want to go on record with to advise the president to get that declassified so that we can see it, the American public can see it, and that was discussed, and you thought you might be willing to do it back on May 26. Do you want to publicly say, do it? 
So, Senator, I, to be quite honest with you, I don't, I don't really know when you say classified information. What information are you referring to? Because the NIH, the information that we involve with, is not classified at all. Now, we this would be do. stuff that we hold within our intelligence departments. Senators well, have been able to look at it. Uh, it's not been released. Uh, Department of Homeland Security, that's not, not what you house within the NIH. And that is you being the main advisor to the president on this issue. Why wouldn't you say declassify it so we can look at it? Well, I would have to find out, Senator. I mean, when you're talking about classified information, that's certainly above anything that I do because I want to reiterate for the record that the NIH does not do any classified anything. Everything we do All is All 100 senators were for doing it. Many of us had the ability to look at it. You or others... Uh, 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 Dr. Walensky, it, it may be a big deal to do it. Real quickly, uh, thank you for those uh, uh, answers. I got a question about, uh, and this is at, uh, aimed at Dr. Walensky, uh, what about uh, the importance of therapeutics? And I ask you this back on uh, May 26. Where is that in the whole journey in terms of having another tool and prophylactics as well, because there's a lot, all of us acknowledge that a vaccine was a miracle to get. Uh, you're seeing where you're running into some that simply won't get it. It's hard for me to imagine that you'll vaccine the rest of the world. When do you put the same amount of enthusiasm on the other two tripods of the stand to actually uh, put every tool in the tool chest aimed at getting rid of this or at least treating it? Thank you, Senator. I'm absolutely for using therapeutics, but I think they should be used um, after we use vaccination because vaccination, certainly um, we have seen that the therapeutics that are out there, the remdesivir, dexamethasone, um, the molnupiravir is a promising new therapeutic that Dr. Fauci just mentioned a few minutes ago. All of those would be after you're infected. They prevent, they work to prevent severe disease and death. They're not um, foolproof. So, so Certainly, my first tool in the toolbox would be for vaccination. And then, of course, we would need testing because most of these therapeutics actually work best after you have, um, especially the oral one, the molnupiravir, work best if you can give them early. So um, I do think we need as many tools in this toolbox as possible. Um, I would also say that the best public health intervention here would be vaccines. And you've said that before, and uh, thanks and for reiterating it. I just ask you to put that same enthusiasm and speed behind the other things that are, might be out there to help us. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I'm going to go vote as the senators know. A vote is open. The next two senators will be Senator Murphy and Senator Murkowski. I hope to be back by the end of that. Thank you very much, Madam Chair. Thank you to all of you for your service to this country during an incredibly trying time. Uh, I um, thought that Senator Collins' line of questioning deserved a, a follow-up. Um, she, she asks a good question. She says we've got high vaccination rates in Maine, and so why do we still have so many deaths? Um, but I think it's important to sort of step back and look at the national. Thank you. Thank you. Senator Smith. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair and Ranking Member Burr, and thank you so much to our panelists for being with us today. So, so I just want to start by highlighting that we have made major steps forward in getting Americans vaccinated. Um, vaccine requirements are working, I believe, to encourage people to get these highly effective vaccines. We're also seeing progress with children. It is great news and a big deal that children 
um, age 5 to 11 can now get their shots. So clearly we have more work to do, um, but this is progress. So I'd like to spend my time focusing on the trajectory of this pandemic and what normal is going to look like going forward. Um, starting out, it seems to me that people thought of COVID-19 as something like polio, for example, where we could quickly, we could develop a vaccine and then we could control or even potentially eradicate this disease. Now it seems that COVID-19 will be more like an influenza, an infection that will recur for the foreseeable future, though hopefully with less and less severity. So Dr. Fauci and Dr. Walensky, can you help us understand how we should be thinking about the path of this pandemic over the next couple of years? Dr. Fauci, understanding that uh, we don't have crystal balls and uh, this is an unpredictable virus, um, what do you think the next six months to two years right. are gonna look like? And do you expect that COVID is going to become more endemic and less pandemic um, as we move forward? And what does this mean for how people are sure. gonna be living their lives? So, yeah, so let me just put a, a very brief perspective of it, Senator. When you think about pandemics, you're in the pandemic phase, and then you have a deceleration phase, then you have a control phase, then hopefully you'll have elimination and maybe eradication. I think eradication is out. We've only eradicated one virus in history for humans in that smallpox. We've eliminated certain infections by very good vaccination programs, such as eliminating polio from the United States, eliminating measles, except for some pockets of under-vaccinated group. So what we're really talking about is control. And control has a wide bracket. You could have it under control where you have enough infections in the community where it isn't a pandemic phase, but it still is interfering with what we would like to get back to what we used to know as normal. What we hope to get it as it's such a low level that even though it isn't completely eliminated, it doesn't have a major impact on public health or on the way we run our lives. We would hope that as we get people more vaccinated, not only in this country, but throughout the world, that the level of viral dynamics will be so low. I can't predict for you today when that will be, because as we see, we now have a situation, we're entering the winter, the good news is we're continuing to come down, and hopefully we'll go further and further down. But what happens globally will impact us. So if we get more people vaccinated globally, and more people vaccinated now, hopefully within a reasonable period of time, we will get to that point where it might occasionally be up and down in the background, but it won't dominate us the way it's doing right now. Thank you for that. I appreciate you bringing in the issue of um, global vaccination rates and how that affects our health here at home. And I hope, um, I hope Madam Chair, uh, that this is a topic that we can devote a little bit more time to in this committee, because I think it is um, very salient to, um, the, to our work to protect Americans. Dr. Walensky, let me turn to the question of data and metrics. You and I had a great discussion last week about what is the most useful data to track the course of this pandemic as it evolves and um, how difficult it is for people to assess their own relative risk, especially now that we have a vaccine that provides such strong protection against um, serious disease. So Dr. Walensky, in this phase of the pandemic, what are the best metrics for us to pay attention to? For example, um, should we be paying more or less attention to positivity rates, case rates, or should we be paying more attention to breakthrough infections that cause serious illness and hospitalization, more like we track um, influenza outbreaks, for example? 
Yeah, thank you for that question and for that conversation earlier this week. Um, I've, we've been thinking a lot about what um, an endemic phase looks like and with the data that we're needed to collect during that phase. Um, certainly right now we are collecting data on cases, hospitalizations, deaths. We know that not all of our case data is um, is uh, 100% because not every uh, rapid test is being reported. And importantly, um, as we do with flu, we collect um, death data, we collect hospitalization data. We absolutely need to know how our healthcare systems are doing, um, and we absolutely need to know how deadly a, a, um, a flu season is. We also collect data on influenza-like illness, what is presenting, and we're currently presenting uh, collecting data now on COVID like illness. So we are working towards those metrics of what we need. Some of them are already, in fact, all of them are already collecting. And the question is, what are going to be our best metrics moving forward? Um, and probably modeling it on flu. The other metric that I think is critically important um, is vaccination rates. And um, one thing that we haven't really touched on just in this conversation, but we are absolutely um, working on and doing much better is our race and ethnicity data, our equity data. Because um, if we are not following how we are doing in these communities with racial and ethnic minorities, we are not going to understand the impact of this pandemic on all of the communities in this nation. We've act actively worked on making sure that those are up to speed as well. Thank you. Well, thank you.